We're going to be here a while. Just heads up. And you guys act like you're as sleepy as I am today. All right? Anybody out there, don't let the heat wear you down. Um, so in a couple of weeks, uh, Scott is going to be up here preaching. He almost got there this morning. So um, get there going. But yeah, we'll get going. And he was asking, anything you want me to preach? I was like, well, they probably would appreciate it if you stuck around in Acts chapter 7 so we get through a little quicker. Because it's going to take a while. But we'll see. We're, I, I, I try to let people who, who fill in uh, preach as God leads because maybe God wants to say something through them differently. So we'll see what uh, on July 30th he's going to be preaching. And on August 6th, Dr. Mike Proud from the, uh, the state office is going to be here. And uh, that means we'll be off-site. So just so you know, get, get, get a heads up. So anyway, um, God is good. God is faithful. It's exciting to be able to ask and receive when you ask people if they can fill in because there's been more than one person willing to do so uh, in this uh, in this season here so it's a good thing we do continue in Acts chapter 7 today and that song we just sang reflects Stephen's message as he preaches and last week we began Stephen's sermon and he had already made them angry right otherwise he wouldn't have been arrested and remember that he was arrested for the, the charge of blasphemy because he declared Jesus as Lord. That's, remember, the same crime that Jesus was crucified for. The Jews took that crime very seriously. And it is a reflection of the, you know, you shall have no other God before me. In Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, yet... The problem that the Jews faced is that in, in this time, if they had not yet realized who God was, they, uh, that Jesus was God, that they were going to end up persecuting his church in the fulfillment of his testimony. Uh, today, I was uh, first looking at it going to go through chapter, or verse, not chapter 22, that'd be a really long sermon, verse 22, but that moves more into the story of Moses. And it kind of starts it off. There's a lot about Moses in Acts chapter 7, which he is the one whom God gave the Ten Commandments that we just mentioned a moment ago. And rightfully so. There's a lot in there about uh, Moses. However, there's this little paragraph about Joseph. Has anybody ever heard about that guy? Joseph. Anybody? Recently, perhaps, in the last year for about six months? Anyway, um, you're going to say, well... Greg, you could have, you know, just used this. You're correct. I could have. But what fun would that have been? Because you would have missed all the big parts of Joseph's story. Uh, what we find here is that in this sermon, Stephen's speech, as it says here, but his sermon, he expounds upon the entirety of the history of the gospel, which is one of the reasons I entitled this kind of mini-series within the book of Acts as the history of the gospel part whatever. Now we're just on part two, okay? And uh, last week we talked about Abraham, and this week we continue and talk of Joseph's faithfulness to God and the, and the patriarchs uh, through that time. And there are some interesting little things that Stephen paraphrases and, and throws in here that we, are remember, we remember that preachers in a lot of ways have not changed in the whole amount of 2,000 years because they end up kind of putting broad strokes over a couple of things, because there's just so much there. 
And that's what Stephen does, and we'll try to expand on that a little bit. But I want you to remember what we looked at as the overall theme of this message in the entirety of chapter 7, and that is the sovereignty of God. God has been in charge the whole time, and he's still in charge today. And when, as we were just singing that song now, uh, just now, I got to thinking about singing with the saints that have gone before us. You realize that eternity is a present reality? That as we praise the Lord, we're praising God with these people we're talking about. That's pretty cool. Okay? Now is the day of salvation. We praise God because He is faithful through all of those things. Right? And... And now we stand singing with these saints that are living their reward with Christ in heaven. And we get mad when the air conditioning doesn't work right. When we really need to realize that today is that day. We can praise the Lord together. And tomorrow will be today again. And the day after that is another today. It's really easy to beat ourselves up and think about different days and different things that come to our mind. But God is faithful. And Stephen doesn't really know what's going to happen at the end of this chapter. Again, what's the spoiler? He doesn't make it out of the room, right? Well, actually, he makes it out of the room, but they throw him off a cliff. That's, you know, not fun. He is still faithful, and he's still joyful in affliction. Again, we in this nation have not faced suffering to the point of death for our faith. Yet, this is what the early church faced from the start. Let's rejoice that the present reality is our salvation. That we can trust God. All right, start preaching before I'm preaching. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 7. invite you to stand as we read eight verses, verses 9 through 16. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. And rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Lord, uh, a lot of names here that may not mean much to us in our daily lives, but they remind us of your faithfulness, that you give us salvation, and it's been by faith from the start. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So, the patriarchs. Who is Joseph? Um, who, I'm sorry, who is Stephen? I just looked at the name Joseph. Who is Stephen speaking of there? 
Well, we had Abraham that's already been mentioned. He's usually part of the list of the patriarchs. His son Isaac, who was mentioned, and then Jacob, Joseph's father. Are men, all three of those. They, usually when they, they talk about prayer in the Old Testament, not usually, but frequently, they'll say, we pray to, the, to our God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After that, it gets a little more complicated. Because right, we, we have, how many sons did Jacob have? Twelve. Twelve sons of Israel. He changed his name to Israel. Uh, the name Israel means the one that contends with God, not the one who mocks, like Jacob meant. So the Israel, the 12 tribes come from Jacob. He has 12 sons. Now, there are a couple of sons who have some issues along the way. And when I say a couple, probably six or seven. When you have 12 kids, you may have a couple of bad apples in the batch. Anyway, um, but Levi ends up being the priestly tribe. They do not inherit land in itself. And Joseph, who we just mentioned gets a double portion of the inheritance as two of his sons become the patriarchs of the tribes of tribes of Israel. That's Ephraim and Manasseh. We'll come back to Ephraim and Manasseh in a minute because we're going to talk about these places. And, oh man, I got a new toy for my birthday. I won't point it at your face, but you can see the light there. Yeah. John got me a pointer. All right, you can see it. So we got a new map. And I can point at it. You ready? Get the map. Can you put the map up there? You got there? All right. Maybe. Wake up. Caitlin. Caitlin, there's a map. Got to wake up the sound booth. Okay. Hey, there we go. All right. So look, I circled things and I can point at them. And it reflects onto the ceiling. It's kind of a fun game. All right. Um, anyway, so these three circles here, they may be pretty small to you, but you might see that they're along the Mediterranean coast, right? You got to lock the Mediterranean Sea. You'd identify this map as Israel, the south end of Israel being the Dead Sea. That's this area, as I've got the pointer right there. And the north being the Sea of Galilee. There are th three locations that are pretty prominent in the lifetime of Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. Abraham, remember, started out in the Ur of Chaldees, goes to Haran, and then God guides him. I don't know who that is. Okay. Um, he guides them, guides him south, all the way down here to that red circle called Beersheba. Okay. All right, so Beersheba is down here in the south, and they have Shechem in the north, and Hebron is in the middle. All three of these cities are very important in the, uh, the line and the history that is the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Beersheba is Abraham's city, but he buys land and a place called Mamre. He buys a place for his burial. That is the first property that Abraham owns in the land of Canaan, the, what would be the promised land later on. And it's just west, it's just outside the middle town there, Hebron. Now, if you know something about the name of Hebron, it carries forward in the history of Judah and Israel as it was David's capital before he took leadership in the entire kingdom in his conflict with Saul. Okay, so you have Shechem, Hebron and Beersheba. Beersheba is kind of where Abraham settled. 
down in the south. He had some things going on there. But both Abraham and Isaac, and all three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were buried at the Blue Circle at Hebron. Here in this passage, we see Stephen do a very preacher thing. At the end, he says that they were all three buried at Shechem. Well, that's not actually the case. He did a broad stroke over it. That's where Joseph was buried, was Shechem. And Shechem is important because it ends up being in the tribal lands of Ephraim. It is the, it is the land that is Joseph's. And the two prominent tribes that come to the forefront in Israel's history are Ephraim and Judah. The rest of them kind of fall under those two tribes. And they split out into two kingdoms eventually. You see the kingdom of Judah, and you see the kingdom of Israel. And that's uh, the northern kingdom will be Ephraim. And it's also called Ephraim in the scriptures. So anyway, you, the, the historical lands matter here. And I got a map, and I got a pointer, so I know I like having fun with maps. Anyway, um, the... These, these places matter because they are the places that were inherited by the children of Israel and Judah. This is the, the, the land that is claimed by Israel at this time. All right? Now, the, 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 the Jews expected the Messiah to be a political Messiah to come back and bring an earthly restoration of the kingdom of Israel, to kick Rome out because they were wicked, and say, we're coming back. Now, what Stephen has gotten into the process of here is showing them and us that that kingdom was not of this world. That the Messiah, the anointed one, ultimately comes and and brings the church, which is a worldly kingdom, which got not worldly, but a you know, worldwide kingdom, which God brings uh, hope through. He brings the message of, what was it you said your mural says? Hope lives. Is that right? We put Scott to sleep. Hope grows. I put Scott to sleep already. Man. All right. So uh, hope grows. Hope comes through the message of the gospel. And that's really what Stephen's bringing to light here, is that God has been at work the whole time. And it ultimately concludes in the work that is Jesus, and the work that he did for our salvation. He's not quite there yet, and this is a, really, it's, it's about the Pharisees and, the, and, and the, the, the people, the council that's listening to him right now is probably doing this. They're going, okay. He's still talking. Why is he talking? We know all this stuff about Abraham. We know all this stuff about Joseph. But he comes back to these times because he wants to show us, ultimately us, that God has always been in the salvation business. The children of Israel were facing suffering. God brought rescue to them by taking them out of the promised land to Egypt. Anybody remember that part of the story? They were starving. They were going to die. And Joseph had been sold into slavery. 
And he ends up being second in command to Egypt. He rescues the children of Israel. God is at work in that. Well, how long does it say that he stayed there? Do you remember? 400 years. 400 years the children of Israel end up staying in Egypt. And by the end of that time, we'll come back to it next time because it talks about, we get into the Moses part of the story then. They were once again in affliction. They were slaves to the Egyptians. What once had been a rescue had gone the way of the world and degraded into slavery. Everything in this world that we think is a rescue is always a temporary rescue. I'm going to say that again. Everything that we think is a rescue in this world is always temporary. We are always subject to some kind of authority that we might not, might not appreciate in this world. And the ultimately, the one is, is that we're going to run out of breaths. The wage of sin is death. That's not the end of the story, though. It's not even the end of the verse in Romans, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. All throughout the Old Testament, and that's where we're coming to here, we see the sovereignty of God at work. We see God bring rescue to those he has promised salvation. Everywhere through it, and that's what we find here. He rescued him, sold him into Egypt, and God was with him. That was a, that, that was a nice swipe of the story there. And rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. And now here came the, the, the famine. The famine came throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. And our fathers could not could find no food that statement in there Stephen is doing a good job of, of you know of preaching it's like he's the first guy to do it it's amazing first this is the longest sermon we find in the book of acts it's also the uh i mean he, peter obviously preached jesus preached we had all these things going on but Stephen's speech before here He's, he's bringing it back, and he's bringing how he relates to these people. Remember, Stephen is a Jew. He's a Greek Jew, but he's a Jew. And it goes, how does he introduce himself in verse 2? He says, brothers and fathers, hear me. He is being very respectful of the position where he is. Remember, he's been arrested. And now he's bringing relation. He's saying that I'm with you in this and that I need this rescue. Our fathers received this rescue in verses 11 and 12. But when Jacob heard that there's no grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Man, that is about 20 chapters of Genesis in two verses. Right? Stephen didn't waste any time on it. He gets to Moses and takes a while there. But in the story of the patriarchs, he reminds us that, uh, that God did not waste time in bringing rescue to his people. But it was in God's time. How long was Joseph a prisoner and a servant of Pharaoh before his family showed up? Around 20 years. That's a long time. Right? 
You can think of a lot of things that have happened in that amount of time. God is faithful, though, through it. And Joseph's family came known to Pharaoh. Verse 14, Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem. That's where I started out and talked about the tomb. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 50, we see that Joseph and his brothers return actually to the Oaks of Mamre, which is where the, uh, the patriarch's burial place was. And that's where they lay his bones. In three more spots, we actually see that Joseph was buried in his own tribal inheritance in Shechem. Uh, Exodus 13 shows that as they carried him out there, Joshua 24. And we even see it in the New Testament when we see the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, that Joseph was brought out. And that was part of Joseph's command. Remember when he died, don't leave me here. So, you know, four centuries later, they finally did it. Parents ever wonder whether their kids are going to do something for you? 400 years later. All right. No, there was reasons for that, though, right? They, they were slaves. But God was still faithful in all of it. In your trials, in your afflictions, God is faithful. God is sovereign. He is the almighty king of the universe, and it's his plan, not ours. Now, does he give us some responsibility within that? Yes, he does. He doesn't want us to just sit there and wait for him to come back. But sometimes we just do that. You know, I'm, I'm tired of this, God. I'm just going to wait for you. When God talks about waiting, though, it's not just sitting there. It's about, like, waiting a table, right? You've had waiters that wait, and you've had waiters that serve. When we are called to wait, it's more in the second set of it. Why? Because he calls us to proclaim his good news and his message of salvation while we wait. And he is faithful to fulfill that promise in his time. And how long did it take here? How long did these eight verses encompass? 400 years. That's longer than the history of the English, English occupation and then the United States, right? It's a long time. 1620s when the pilgrims came. It's 2023 right now. That, okay, 403 years. I was close. My math. All right. I can only count to four. It's okay. But God is faithful. And we might get tired of waiting for him. But it's not our mission. It's his. And we want to pray like it says in the Psalms. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. But he says, wait for me. Wait and trust me. How long we go back to that theme? How long do we think that the intertestamental period was before we see Malachi to Matthew? About 400 years. 
How long was the rain between then? It was just, it's been a long time since all this stuff happened, guys. God is faithful. He, and it goes back to where we started when we talk about praising with the saints right now. God is eternal. And his plan, we need to trust that he will bring fulfillments. And yeah, I want God to come back. I want Christ to return. It'd be awesome to see the clouds split and to see his return. But I'm not in charge of that. I can't make that happen, and neither can you. I make people mad at me when, I, when they start pulling out their calendar and saying, but this happened and this happened and this happened. I said, yeah, but we're still here. <laughs> God, hadn't, God isn't done yet. There's a whole bunch of people in the world that still need to hear the message of salvation. That Jesus paid the price for our sins. He was slain from the foundation of the world. God has loved you forever. Guys, he's loved you forever. And he brought that fulfillment to us and shows it to us in Jesus Christ. And Joseph was a type of Messiah. He showed that picture here. We saw how was Abram counted righteous. Abraham counted righteous. By faith, because he trusted God. Was his life perfect? No way. Abraham did a lot of stupid things, but God was gracious and he was faithful. And now we see here, we, we see this picture again as we continue through Stephen's message here. Joseph is a picture of God's faithfulness. He is not going to leave us here. To be absent in the flesh is to be present with the Lord. We need to be ready for the day of our last breath or the day of his return. Either one's going to have the same effect. It'll be with him. So I ask you today, do you know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him as Savior? Because that's where Stephen's leading to here. That's where he's showing us Joseph was a type of that Messiah. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. He paid the price on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life when we place our trust in him. When we place our trust in him, he calls us to obedience then. Remember, we talked about that last week with Abraham. Faith is reflected in our obedience to the Lord. He calls us to follow him in believer's baptism, to submit our lives to his authority, to covenant him together as the church, to proclaim his good news. Christ died for the church. He did die for us individually, but when we, when we trust him as Savior, we realize that his fulfillment comes in the body of Christ. And he calls us to a radical obedience. So there may be a, a step you need to take where you might be confused about where God has you in this point in life, but God has drawn you to this place so that you can trust him and believe that he has a plan for you and believe that his eternal salvation can be yours. And if he, and if he has saved you, why wouldn't you follow him? Why wouldn't you trust in him? You can answer those questions in your own heart and mind. We can have that conversation later. But ultimately, what it comes down to is God is good, 
he is faithful. These three places that we talk about, burial places here, they're just a reflection of God's faithfulness. Because God said that I'm coming, I am giving you this place, and these places were a reflection of that. The place you are now is a reflection of what God has brought you through. And he says, follow me. Will you trust him today the way these patriarchs did? Next week we see what he does, begin to look at what he does through Moses. And how he shows his redemptive plan. And the sacrifices and, and showing that he ultimately had a plan for his life. And he has a plan for you, too. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you. Help us to walk in your grace. I thank you for the chances and the opportunities you give us to follow you.